0: On one of the days while Jesus was teaching, some proud religious law keepers and teachers of the law were sitting by him. They had come from every town in the countries of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. The power of the Lord was there to heal them. Some men took a man who was not able to move his body to Jesus. He was carried on a bed. They looked for a way to take the man into the house where Jesus was. But they could not find a way to take him in because of so many people. They made a hole in the roof over where Jesus stood. Then they let the bed with the sick man down on it down before Jesus. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the man, friend, your sins are forgiven. The teachers of the law and the proud religious law keepers thought thought to themselves, who is this man who speaks as if he is God? Who can forgive sins but God only? Jesus knew what they were thinking. He said to them, why do you think this way in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or get up and walk. So that you may know the Son of Man has the right and the power on earth to forgive sins, he said to the man who could not move to his body, I say to you, get up, take your bed, and go to your home. At once, the sick man got up in front of them. He took his bed and went to his home, thanking God. All those who were there surprised, were surprised and gave thanks to God, saying, We have seen very special things today. Thank you for downloading our podcast. Make sure you subscribe to get new ones every week. And don't forget to check out First United Methodist Sweetwater's
1: website and social media. Now, here is Pastor Ryan Striebeck. And after this, we're going to have a Q&A. A nice little question and answer time. Probably a lot of you, if you're efficient and like to go throughout your days, don't like to waste a lot of time, you hear that and you go, oh my gosh. You, you think, um, I hope they have a good moderator, and I hope so-and-so doesn't go to the microphone, and I hope so-and-so, and I hope everyone else knows that we're not all as crazy as the person that goes to the microphone, and you know, you hear it. And so we tell people our whole lives, when you give any kind of presentation or any kind of lecture or anything, you say, does anyone have questions, and we always say there are no Stupid questions. And of course, in the back of our mind, we're thinking there aren't any stupid questions as long as someone actually wants to learn. But what there are are a ton of bad habit questions. And there's a million groupthink questions that drive us all bananas. Um, I was always thankful in seminary that, you know, the really good professors understand this. And so they do not allow you to ask questions during lecture uh the worst ones do the they don't you know the ones that are wanting to teach you they know they know as a young seminarian you have a ton of questions and very few of them are the right questions <laughs> so they're like part of my job is to teach you how to ask the right questions and I can't do that if you're asking questions all through my lecture so I'm going to present you the material and then hopefully that will help you ask you know better questions and so uh, you know no stupid questions but a lot of bad habit questions a lot of group think questions a lot of So, sir, would you say, or wouldn't you say that? And then we go ahead and say, basically, it's not a question at all, it's just, do you agree with me? Uh, I just want to find out if you agree with me or not. And uh, so I've been in some really nasty Q&As over the years. Anyways, uh, asking questions is an art, you know, and it's a real discipline. And for Christians, it's a big part of our job. I mean, a big part of prayer and a big part of leading and teaching and discipling and and serving is asking the right questions. And so we get a little journey into that today in the text uh, that Morgan read for us. This is one of my favorite passages in all of Scripture. Uh, Mark also tells this story. We're going to look from a little different vantage point today, but you can kind of see it, right? I mean, just imagine the most chaotic crowd... That you've been to in a while. I mean, today's the Super Bowl. Can you imagine what it's like right outside the stadium and all around the community? It's just got to be nuts. And so, um, if you want to get to where the action is happening, where where the in the center of what's going on, and there are all these crowd barriers, that can be a real challenge. And the smaller the space gets, the harder that is. So, when Jesus is there and he's teaching and he's healing, and you have all these people that have gathered. And particularly we have these scribes and Pharisees, and they're all gathered around, they're sitting and everyone's tuning and listening, and the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal. And so, of course, people want that healing and they come, and in this case, these guys bring their friend uh, who has some physical ailment or disability, and they want him to be able to, you know, to function back in society again and be restored to his family and all that stuff. So they, with great courage and faith, Uh, think you know there's no way we're getting through in the normal doors and the normal windows so we're pretty desperate here. Let's just make a hole in the roof. And if you've ever put on a roof, you know it's really hard to, it's a lot easier to take a roof apart than it is to patch it, put it back together. So, uh, you know, the, the contractor in all of us is thinking, oh man, bad choice, bad choice. Jesus has to be upset with that. You're tearing up somebody's roof. It's probably going to leak hereafter, uh, but they don't care, right? They want to get this guy into the scene and close to the healing power of Jesus. So they lure him through and Jesus sees their faith, the faith of the man, the faith of the friends. And he looks at the guy and he says, friend, your sins have been forgiven you. He just stops what he's doing and he says that. I mean, that's not why they came, but that's where Jesus starts. He sees something in this guy. Your sins have been forgiven. And so the scribes and the Pharisees begin to question. And the word here, it's kind of like inner dialogue. It's kind of like the dialogue amongst yourselves. Uh, And you know how it is when you're with your group at an event and you kind of got your little corridor. And so there's something going on and you kind of lean over and you go, hey. Is it, does he say what I think he's saying? Did he just do that? Because that doesn't seem to comport with this, that, and the other and do it. And let's compare notes and let's talk about this. So they, they start this inner dialogue and they're talking to each other. And Jesus, you know, the, Luke tells us that Jesus perceived their inner dialogue, he perceived their little conversation. And he, so he addresses them and he says, Hey, um, why do you question in your hearts? And he kind of goes a little thought experiment. He said, What's easier for me to do? What's easier to say, uh, Your sins are forgiven? or to say, rise and walk, implying that, uh, you know, he's just done a greater thing. But he says that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who uh, had the ailment, he said, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And immediately, the guy rises up, and he picks up what he had been lying on, and he went home, glorifying God. And so amazement seized all of them. They glorified God. They were filled with fear and awe and saying, we have seen extraordinary things today. So normally when we read this story, I mean, I don't know who you're drawn to initially. I'm always wanting to get inside the head of the guys that bring the guy. You know, I'm just thinking that there's so many great sermons you can preach from that vantage point, from the guys that, are, that have that courageous act of faith. Then there's the vantage point that we sometimes see when we're like, hey, let's look at this story through what it's like to be lying down on this mat and be unable to function as you want to in society and let's see how Jesus responds to us when we feel that way. That's a great sermon to preach. Then a lot of times, of course, it was we're prone to do in reading the gospels is we, we wanna place ourselves in the vantage point of Jesus. After all, uh, Jesus uh, makes it through his life perfectly, so we know he's saying the right things, doing the right things, and it's like, hey, what would Jesus do? Okay, well, I'll put myself right here in the vantage point of Jesus, and, uh, and that's great too. But today, I wanna invite us to look at this story and invite Jesus to speak to us from the vantage point of the opposition. Now, we don't ever wanna think of ourselves as being in the wrong part of the room or the wrong other side of the conversation, or in this case, asking the wrong questions. But what I've been looking at this week in my own life is what does it cost me when I spend so much time asking the wrong questions? What questions do I miss out on and what opportunities do I miss? What is the opportunity cost of my bad habit questions, of my default questions, my commonplace questions? Sometimes in a room where Jesus is flipping the script just a little bit. So as we look from the vantage point of these beautiful people called the scribes and the Pharisees, let's think about who they were. Now, this is the first mention of the scribes and the Pharisees in Luke's Gospels. We're already five chapters in. Uh, the disciples have been called. Jesus has been baptized, started his ministry. Everything's going. And we then we're introduced to this group, the scribes and the Pharisees, okay, who they are. And they've gathered not just from the little local area, but they've come from the whole surrounding region and even from Jerusalem. So this is like a huge gathering of all these great religious leaders. Now, and, and these guys, their popularity was incredible. I mean, if you can just think of who are the, when we talk about the pillars of our community in a place like Sweetwater, that's, that's the kind of guys that we're talking about here. They, they were so devout and they were so careful to keep every iota, to cross every T and dot every I. And they thought that if they kept their lives unstained from the rest of the world, if they kept their little behaviors and all their stuff in check, they actually thought that this was the fastest way to be freed of the Roman opposition, the fastest way for the kingdom of God to come, that they could be good enough and keep the law sharp enough, that they could be incredible enough that they could actually turn the tide, that they could change the world in that way. So that's what they wanted to do. And so they were just great guys. I mean, they were, they were doing great things. And people loved them. And they had great popularity. And if one of those guys walked in, he got the front seat. I mean, everybody would move to give them the seat because they were just, they were great. They were that respected and revered in the community. So these are not, you know, these curmudgeony, grouchy, you know, these are good guys. And so anyways, they, they're there and they're, they're sitting. Luke tells us that they're sitting and listening, which sitting can mean kind of that teaching dynamic But I think in this story, Luke is trying to tell us that, you know, who is it that sits? uh, Think about a king that's sitting on his throne or a judge that's sitting on his bench. And he's ready to pass judgments, right? He's sitting there going, I'm the judge, I'm the jury. So this group of Pharisees from all over the land and scribes, they're sitting there. There's this idea that these are the guys and judgment is in their hands, they're the ones that have the yes, the thumbs up or the thumbs down on what's going on in my life, what's going on in your life. And so they, you know, we're, we've given them the space that they need to be the guys they need to be, uh, to be our leaders. So there's just great deference and respect for them. And so they're the ones that when Jesus is talking to this man that he calls his friend, and he's pronounced that his sins are forgiven, these are the guys we're talking about when they start leaning over and asking these questions like, is this guy off his rocker? Because only God can do that. So clearly this guy, you know, something is wrong. And they're questioning. I mean, they're open, but they're going this way. So I want you to imagine this scene in this room. And I want us to place ourselves in the, in the seat with the Pharisees over here. And let's just say we are now, we're going to be separated, okay? So we're going to create a little group. We've separated ourselves, but it's by choice. So We've separated ourselves. We're in the soul corridor. We're over here and we're trying to keep some distance from all the bad stuff that's going on in the world and this is how we're going to this is how we're going to lead, okay? So we're over here in our nice little spot. In through the roof comes a guy over here and he's separated too. I mean, he's not only separated, it's it's like, you know, there's only one guy when when somebody parachutes into a football game or something, you know, you drop in. I mean, there's only one guy doing that and, and no one else in the room's like, oh yeah, I could do that. I mean, this is a strange phenomenon. So this guy's coming through the roof and he's on a mat and he's got his friends with him and this whole spectacle is happening, but he's separated too. Now, we over here, we're separated by choice because we think this is the way we're gonna make it. I mean, this is how we're, 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 we're crossing our T's and we're dotting our I's and we've been to Bible study and we're ready to go. But the guy over here, he's separated by circumstance, right? He, he has no, I mean, we don't know how he hurt himself or how he was, if he was born that way or whatever, but we just know circumstances have him in this separation camp over here. Now, if we're good Pharisees and scribes and we're over here in our little separation camp, We should have our eyes out, as good Old Testament scholars, we should have our eyes out for who? For the vulnerable, for the widows, for the orphans, for for the people that don't have somebody in their corner. That's, That's how we were trained. That's what we should be seeing. And then you have this guy over here who comes in as one of those people, and Jesus starts interacting with him. And the first thing we do is say, why is Jesus doing that? what's wrong with that? What, you know, right? We initially, we do, we're just immediately go into the questioning side. We know what that's like. Um, it's hard for us to imagine uh, somebody like this who we'll just consider, the word is kind of vague, but it's throughout Luke, are people like this are referred to as lame. Uh, and it's some physical ailment that keeps them from doing all the normal things that the rest of us do. One example would be uh, the the priesthood was decided back in those days. Uh, It it didn't matter what your qualifications were or whatever, but you had to be born in the right family. And there were a million things that, that would exclude you from the priesthood and a lot of them physical. If you had a broken foot, If you had a messed up leg, if something about your face wasn't just the way they liked, there were a lot of reasons they would exclude you from the priesthood. And a lot of these little communities in these surrounding regions, the way they're interpreting the law, they kind of made their own rules too. And so guess what? A person like that, who was on a bed like that, in a predicament like that, he would not have been welcome in very many places. He was not welcome in that community. And so I've just been thinking all week about those of us that are separated by choice because we're trying to do the right thing. And then those of us who are separated by circumstance and the, the gap that we often feel there, because God help us, we're all just looking for that great human and that great divine connection, right? We all want to be connected. We all want to be uh, in, in a fellowship, in a group. I mean, the reason that we're going to spend 20 to 30 billion dollars tomorrow is because we're seeking connection, right? It's, and you know, let's do it. Let's keep the flower shops in business. Whatever. But I mean, that's we're looking, we're hungry, we're reaching out for this kind of connection. And so, as I've looked at this scene this week, I have been asking myself, how much time have I wasted with the sort of disposition that keeps me over here when people have been separated over here and they need somebody like Jesus, to see them, to see what we've trained ourselves to miss, which is usually something like what we don't understand or makes us just a little bit uncomfortable. And so when I spend time asking the wrong questions, I'm missing the opportunity to ask the right ones. It's opportunity cost. Every week when we gather for Holy Communion, we pray a prayer of confession and we say um, we, we not only the things that we've done where we've crossed the line but we say uh, I confess my sin for the th- the people that I've missed right I, we have not loved our neighbor we have not heard the cries of the needy forgive us we pray so instead of being a sin of what we would call commission something we commit it would be a sin of omission something that we omit that we just walk by uh, that that I fail to hear and have trained myself to miss The good news of the gospel in this story, for those of us sitting over here in separatist camp and those of us sitting anywhere else in the story, uh, is that Jesus in his artful, skillful, beautiful ways, working in an evil, confused world, he sees what we have trained ourselves to ignore. Thanks be to God. Jesus sees it and what we do not understand, and what we shy away from. And this, this is Jesus doing what he said he was called to do, quoting Isaiah, saying, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, uh, has anointed me to preach good news to the poor, to set the captives free. There's a whole group of captives that we tend to miss. Uh, and, and, then, and in every community, it's going to be different. But who are the captives that I've forgotten about? Who are the captives that are there that need that pronouncement of forgiveness? Because we know that any physical or mental Limitation tends to affect how we feel, uh, how we see ourselves inwardly, how we think, and it lends itself to this separation, and it's just this growing gap. So, wherever we sit, these words of Jesus, and this is the healing moment, right? Jesus says, Friend. He looks at him and says, Friend, and in that moment, we're, we're to understand the healing is taking place. Friend, your sins have been forgiven you. This has already happened, and I'm just telling you, I'm reminding you that God has forgiven your sins. It's just the lid comes off. A healing moment. I think another piece of the good news here for those of us that have spent so much time in, in our efforts to do good and be good, and we've been over here in this separatist area. I'm a great Pharisee, by the way. Um, I, 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 I don't want to be when I read these stories sometimes, but I know that's, I know that's where I'm comfortable. And um, the scribes and the Pharisees in this story, though, they are a part of the seized with amazement group, which I think is a beautiful thing. Again, they're not, they're not just hell-bent on, you know, taking Jesus out at this point. They're, they're just, they're, they are curious. And so when Jesus... Does this thing, and then he says, Oh, and just so you'll know that I have authority to do this, how about I do this? Uh, everyone sees with amazement. I mean, the story has a great ending. Everyone sees with this great amazement that, that when we look around at each other and, and we're, now we're not in our little inner dialogue, now we're going, Wow, did you just see what happened? Did you notice that? Did you notice the change in your heart like I did when Jesus was doing what he was doing? And so it's a hopeful imitation for us that. If we spend time with Jesus and we spend time with Jesus as he interacts with other kinds of people that might be a little different than us, that there's great possibility for us to say with this other group of people, we're filled with awe and with fear and say, we have seen extraordinary things today. Uh, the, The word here is really like the word paradox. We've seen a great paradox today. Right? There's, there's a truth or a statement or an act that's contrary to the accepted opinion. This is not what we came here today expecting to see. <laughs> and, and we know this is, this is how this works, right? Sometimes we go to church camp or we go to worship or we go to the Wednesday night prayer meeting. We go show up to work the food pantry. We do whatever we do this week and we go to teach our class and we go to sit in our office and we just don't think it's going to happen like this. But when we open that door and we've gathered in the places where Jesus gathers, I mean, he surprises us sometimes. And sometimes we walk away thinking, that's a paradox. That's not what I thought would happen today. And so, I wonder if we might, you know, with this year, with a little bit different, you know, twist on our, on our hopes and dreams, if we might find ourselves and begin looking for places where Jesus tends to draw out amazement. And I think if we read through the Gospels, and in this case, Luke, we will see that he keeps coming back to the same people, that he keeps wanting to spend time with the same kinds of people, and they keep being the people that by circumstances of life are separated from God and society and the worshiping community. And so later on in Luke 14, Jesus tells another Pharisee who has graciously opened his home to Jesus and many other people, He says, Hey, let me tell you something, Pharisee. Again, not criticizing what you're doing, but let's let's take this to another level of amazement. But he says, When you throw a party and you throw a feast, how about next time don't invite people that are kind of like you? Don't invite people that, that owe you favors. And don't invite people that you owe favors to. Don't invite the people that can pay you back, but instead, invite the poor, invite the lame, invite the blind. And you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. The blessing comes specifically in the inability of the person that we have served to repay. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. So your payment will come later, but when you throw a party, do it this way. Don't you love that quality of Jesus where he says, keep throwing parties, keep doing things like you've all, but just change your guest list just a little bit sometimes. And you will be amazed. You'll be amazed at the people that can't repay you and the blessing that you will find where you never expected to find it. And I think as I sit over here in this place, wherever this place is, this place of separation, I think those are the events. Those are the things that I need to help me see this camp. And of course, we all end up over here sometimes. And uh, I just love this good news invitation of Jesus that wherever we are, Uh, that we stand to be amazed in the presence of God. Because this is the character of God manifest to us in the person of Jesus. So may we be amazed together. May we see these paradoxes of Jesus together. And may we go forth in his name. Amen.